This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> it's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm joined by Siri Sohi. It's the answer. We do this every Friday. We try to ask one big question that we try to answer over the course of a podcast. Sometimes we ask lots of questions. Sometimes there's not even a question mark involved. And this week, we're going to ask what to do with Joel Embiid. Not like, should we tr- to the Sixers trade him or anything? But like, he's, he's a fascinating superstar who is been playing on a really volatile organization for most of his career, and yet the results are almost always the same. So I thought Sirit and I could talk about Joel Embiid's trajectory, his career, and where he goes from here. Sirit, how are you doing? I think the most important question today really is, how are you doing? I feel okay. There's always like a sadness when uh, the team you're cheering for their season ends, but then in the case of the Sixers, I think there's like a little bit of relief. Mm -hmm. You know, this was not like a really inspiring basketball team. Uh, other than like the first five games of Harden (laughs) and the second half of the season, there was not a lot of like high-fiving going on among me and my Sixers friends on group chat or in real life. So like to have them go down sucks that they've lost two straight elimination games in Philadelphia sucks that Embiid seems to uh, be a broken man again at the end of a season sucks. But 
it is what it is. Like Miami is just a better team. I mean, yeah, Doc Doca actually came to that realization. Yeah, I could have helped him with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I could I, if he'd asked asked around. I think people would have told him. You sound like somebody who you know has been holding on to a dysfunctional relationship for a really long time and is now going through the initial pain of it being over, but also realizing, wait, wait a second. This wasn't all that great to begin with, and yeah, now right. I might actually have some headspace for something else. And I have my Saturdays free, so that's nice. So did you get a chance to see a bunch of what, like, I mean, we could talk about the game itself, uh, mm-hmm. which was last night, Sixers lost 99-90. It wasn't even that close. I think the, the there was a lot of, like, Shake Milton juicing up at the end mm-hmm. of the fourth quarter there that got it, like, within 10, but it was not a single-digit game. Uh, did you get a chance more so to see some of the comments that Sixers made after the game? Yeah, so I was flying during the game. Um, the first thing I did once I had once I was off airplane mode was Google Joel Embiid post game press conference without knowing the results of the game at all. And man, did he not disappoint at all! Yeah. Uh, so I, I got to reverse engineer this, where I saw everybody's comments. Before I actually watched the game, I checked like I kind of caught some stuff last night. And I watched it, watched it this morning, and well, based on the comments, the game kind of went exactly how I thought it would. And just the fact that like the biggest shocker, but also like oh, we're we're uh, we're in it right now was like the timestamp on the interview. Like it was long; it was like twenty yeah. minutes, and it was very, it was very insightful. But it was also just like I'm getting deja vu at this point. You know, I'm getting deja vu. This isn't just when they get knocked out of the playoffs. I feel like, you know, in every season there have been like a few iconic Joel Embiid press conferences. Sure. And this one was probably the most hopeless one was probably actually after game five, which I think we should talk about was probably let's start with that. Let's start with the post like the the game five post game press conference and just that general the whole narrative around Embiid at that time. And you're talking about. Uh, one game ago <laughs> one game ago. yeah right one so yeah the post-game comments that he had after game five in Miami you know in retrospect and I think even yesterday I talked a little bit about this with Tyler and Kyle but in retrospect I just think this was poor series management of an injured player like you know he mm-hmm. comes back in Philadelphia coming off the orbital fracture and the torn thumb ligament uh, he's had a concussion. He's been basically sitting literally in the dark in his house because he can't look at his phone and he can't see lights because the concussion was so bad. Comes back. He plays two great games for Philly, even if the counting stats aren't that great. The impact he had on Philly in those two games in games three and four was immense. Uh, there's like some renaissance Harden going on. They win those two games. They're going back to Miami for game five. They will have a game six. It's guaranteed. Embiid has obviously left it all out on the floor for those two games, three and four. They decide to travel, and Embiid obviously decides to travel to Miami to try and, I guess, steal one in Miami. And he gets really beaten up. You know what I mean? Like, he he hurt his back early on. There's comments throughout the game from the, mm-hmm. the announcing team. Chris Haynes says... Embiid's like really low energy. He's standing away. He was standing away from the team no, during shoot around, not even at the game. Un- like during shoot around, he yeah. seems pretty unresponsive. There's something going on. Haynes speculated that it had something to do with the MVP voting. I thought that was crazy. I was like, Joel Embiid probably has known who was going to win the MVP for the last couple of weeks. He obviously commented on that after the game, and 
I couldn't tell if that was more of a like I was asked the question so said I was disappointed about MVP or if that was at the top of his mind. He brought up Bill's comments about Jalen Green, obviously. Like, he was very in his feelings. It's the new cycle that won't die. It <laughs> really is. I thought that was, like, he wanted to not care, but then he kept talking about it, and maybe it was him in the, that moment realizing he cared. So, to me, it's it's not, like, just because he found out a few weeks ago that he would have processed it and would have been fine, because it felt almost like he was projecting his disappointment about the season onto the MVP award, right? Like, he was talking about not being recognized. He was That's talking very well about, I don't know what more... I can do like, well, you know, he kind of blamed it on the media and the narrative that's get, that gets created and everything. And, but at the same time, all the things that he was saying could very much apply to how he feels about this Sixers season. And also just his general Sixers career at this point where he has put everything at, on the line. And it felt to me like, you know, the actual pain of the injury um, and playing through it and not getting anything out of it was what was bothering him more than the MVP stuff, right? Like that's, and it's obviously connected and that he has had an MVP season. He has been, you know, on like one of the most reliable stars in the league for a while. And he's gotten away from the perception that he is injury prone. But I do wonder also if he is fighting that a little bit too much now at this point where it's like, okay, yeah, you've gotten past that point, but also, p- players get injured, right? Like, that happens. Yes. There's a difference between... And I thought, actually, the guys from Rights to Ricky Sanchez had a pretty awesome talk about this last night towards the beginning of their pod. There's a difference between the way Devin Booker gets injured and the way Joel Embiid gets injured. You know, like, Devin Booker injures his hamstring, misses a few games, comes back, and plays himself back into all NBA-level shape, seemingly. You know? Like, Joel Embiid and if people have made this comparison, is is the grail knight in Monty Python where it just seems like he's always dragging a limb into the through the postseason. Mm. And it's like this kind of almost the passion of Joel thing where you're like, oh my God, is this like, is he going to make it? Is this going to happen? Like, is he going to drag his leg or his back or his thumb or his eye up the court this time? What did he do to his knee? Is he going to need to get his meniscus operated on? Is he just going to play through it? It's always... In the postseason, something like that, with the exception of the bubble year. There's always something. Well, sometimes you see it during the regular season, too, right? Like, where he'll be playing through stuff during the regular season. He'll be playing too many minutes, and it's kind of like, you know, this, like, storyline where he's the one that wants to do it, and there might be, you know, people on the team that don't necessarily feel like that's a good idea, but he's going to keep pushing through, and there's, like, this stubborn insistence that he has that he's going to keep going. That's ultimately what makes him great and also what makes this it makes it a very tragic story right because he just wants it so bad and it feels like he's now getting to the point of realizing it reminds me a little bit of LeBron where he's now been in the league long enough and had just like this perpetual string of second round outs that we can we can get into those at some point but just realizing that you can't control everything Like, okay, you can try to tough it out through all these injuries and you can try to be the MVP and you can try to improve your game every single year. And he talked about it after this game too. Like he's always been very astute and savvy in how he criticizes. He said basically that every time he caught the ball, you know, there are two or three guys crowding him and he needs to get better as a passer. But it was also very much couched in a commentary on the team around him and the, Mm -hmm. the, the players around him as well. 
Um, and I feel like he's always had that and he's always been very committed to finding like the next edge in his game. And it feels like he is just that game five, especially it felt, it felt to me like, you know, Joel Embiid's no good, very bad day. Right? Like it just all kind of felt like it got to him. Yes. Yeah. I think that that, that, that your, your point about it's not necessarily the MVP as much as it's something to show for the season. Because after Game Five, when he talked about the MVP award, and he, t- I, I think that the die was kind of cast. Like, I, I actually understand if you're going to play in Game Five, if you're going to wrench your back, if you're going to look lethargic, if you're going to try and try and try, if like you know that Game Five was also when he got hit in the face and was rolling around on the ground and was, I think he got hit in the nose because he was crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like, oh, you know what? This is actually like. I have nothing to show for this. All this yeah. damage to yeah. my body and all these years here and I have nothing, not an MVP even, not even like the speech with the thing in front, with the trophy in front of me, and the speech about being mm-hmm. a father or whatever I would have said when I won the MVP. I have to say like the MVP thing has kind of gotten out of control where we talk about it essentially from game seven on throughout the season. I know Jokic has won it because Woj reported it a week ago, but like, have we done the like, here's your award, Nikola Jokic moment yet? Like, I can't even tell if they've given it out. He, uh, I think he like got it in, in, uh, in Sambor as he Okay, would. congratulations to him. And it's just sort of like all of that for this. I know mm-hmm. how much it means to these guys, but it's also like there's something kind of bizarre about how this is such a hotly debated award and then it gets like leaked by Woj. 10 days before it actually gets given to a guy who's not mm-hmm. in the country when it happens and like meanwhile all the other people are like fuck I didn't win the MVP anyway my point being is he's coming out of this thing with another year of nothing to show for it and I thought it was pretty notable that I want to kind of go through a couple of his postseason exits but last night I thought it was pretty notable that he must have like you said deja vu he's finding himself in the same press conference at the same time of year this was on the anniversary of the Kawhi triple bounce shot it's the same same time of year. It's the same press conference. It's the same questions about whether the guys around you are good enough and whether you have the right coach. And I thought last night was notable because everybody kind of assumes, and by the time this podcast goes up even, Doc Rivers might be gone. There was something weird Stephen A. Smith was saying about Doc Rivers on the on the SPM broadcast last night where he was just like, something doesn't smell right. And I don't know whether that was Doc's a lame duck and he's going to get fired anyway, or Doc's already got the Lakers job. I don't know what the illusion was there. Giving a lot of credit to Doc Rivers for being able to win that game. If he was like, you know, sure. Yeah. But you know, we can keep it moving. And then they asked, you know, Joel Embiid about like, well, do you think like there needs to be this shakeup in the coaching staff or whatever? And he's like, eventually like, and this is true. He's like, I don't know how many times we can like change coaches and change management it's eventually it's the players and that was sort of the theme of a lot of the statements coming from the Sixers afterwards uh was we need to get more mentally and physically tough but the Sixers played like seven guys for the last two weeks so it's like you guys can all point fingers but eventually you're all pointing at one another like I don't know who Tobias Harris is talking about when he's like we need to be more mentally tough it's like you play all the minutes dude like I don't know what to say like PJ Tucker got like five offensive rebounds in a row on this team there was just no no effort towards in the second half Tyler Hero got an offensive rebound on James Harden it was like his first offensive rebound ever I'm sure he was just like I'm I need to put this ball on my shelf like this is like a first so it's really kind of like at this point where the way that the team is constructed around Embiid has failed three or four times now you know it's just not worked and so you have to start asking questions about whether they're putting the right kind of guys around Embiid and whether or not Embiid could be doing things a little bit differently you know uh whether that's play style whether that's 
not going for a scoring title in the second half of the season and maybe playing minutes that he shouldn't be playing, playing in games that he could be taking mm-hmm. off. And we can break it all down. But yeah, another disappointing second round exit for one of the most magnetic, charismatic, and game-changing stars in the league. And it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting to see this this guy not be able to get over a hump, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I didn't think I'd be co- going into this thinking about things that Joel Embiid could do better. But it actually reminds me of one Jimmy Butler. Sure. Where early in his career, and actually James Harden too, like we talk about where James Harden is at right now. That guy played all the minutes in the world when he was in Houston and he had an insistence on playing every game. He didn't want to rest. He wanted to try to play all 82. Like he was like, I'm a Hooper. I love basketball. Hooper, not a basketball player. And, and Butler was the same way. I remember I profiled him in Chicago and he seems to honestly have the same sort of impulse as Embiid where there is this desire to prove something but deep down you know that it's not that great for your body but you're just hoping that there will be a reward at the end of the day like what he said to me at the time was basically just like I'm not going to stop playing these minutes and like he didn't really want to see like the correlation between health and minutes this is during the Tibbs era where everybody was like yeah grinding these this was the first year of Fred Hoiberg actually okay the first year of Fred Hoiberg so I think there was part of that was like a a push against Hoiberg's style of coaching. It was like just a lot more chill. A time Fred Hoiberg remembers fondly, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. He he said something along the lines of like, you know, I want to be Superman, but like, you know, like there's like I get hit, I get hit with kryptonite, yeah. and then I'm down, right? Yeah. And it seems like the same thing with Embiid, and it. But there's this block that that I think Jimmy's now old enough, but like Embiid seems to be at this place where he might now start being able to get over the block of realizing that he's not superman essentially right and i think he kind of did in that in that game five post game press conference he was talking about how he lobbied for mvp last year and this year when he was asked about it he answered questions about it and from now on he's just done Mm -hmm. like he's not going to be doing that anymore i think that might be a necessary point of growth for him but also though to the point of the players like I don't know if I agree with that because as much as the management has changed, the players have also changed a lot too. It's been, he's probably had one of the more volatile like environments around him that I can remember any superstar having. And in, in in a sense, this is a team that no matter how crazy things get behind the scenes and usually the behind the scenes stuff is Mm -hmm. just right out on front street. It's never like that hidden. They still make it into the postseason and make it into the second round of the playoffs. It's just that they get their asses kicked in the second round of the playoffs or losing seven to Atlanta. Like it's there is like a kind of floor that they are able to achieve with mm-hmm. a team that is built around Joel Embiid. But there was a really crucial thing that he talked about in that game five press conference that we haven't mentioned, which is he started to verbalize the end of his career. Like he was talking about I have a couple of more years. And I basically just want to make the most out of this time. Like, I think he said, when I'm done playing in a few years, it wasn't when I'm 35. It wasn't, you know, like this, I'll be in this league for another 10 years or, you know, we we have time to make it right. It was like a little bit of like, I made the mm-hmm. biggest push I could over the last couple of years for these two, this individual award. I'm runner up twice. It didn't work. I campaigned mm-hmm. the one year. And while he didn't quote unquote campaign this year, 
I think that he very much went for the scoring title as, as LeBron mm-hmm. was going for too. And, and I, I think that that was definitely part of like putting together a resume mm-hmm. for the MVP award for him to articulate a horizon, you know, of, for, for his career, like a, a plateau for his career was, I think pretty jarring for Sixers fans who kind of perpetually think of him as the project of all projects, you know, the, that he is the process that he is the mm-hmm. never ending journey towards a, a title and that he's the the kind of prince who was promised player who we're all building this thing around and he's just like i'm getting older my body keeps getting beat up i'm a father and yeah i i, I agree with the ricky sanchez guys who were talking last night like uh, spike was saying like and maybe he saw what dirk said about playing the last for sure years of his <laughs> for sure yeah. and it was just like this is not a guy who's going to be playing deep into his 30s so get that out of your head this is not going to be chris paul this is not going to be lebron this is not going to be Ray Allen. You know, like this is a guy who's probably going to be like, I gave it my shot. I'm 35. This is a wrap. Um, and I don't know what his his early mid 30s are going to look like as a basketball player. It might not be as dominant. He might be like 29 minutes a night and you have to use him really smartly. I don't I don't know. The playoffs are heating up and you can make every game feel like game seven on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Throughout the playoffs, all customers can place a no sweat same game parlay each week. You'll get up to $20 in free bets if you don't win. FanDuel has so many ways to play. And best of all, when you do win, you'll get paid faster than a fast break. Friday night, Warriors, Grizzlies in the Bay, game six. This is what the Warriors wanted. I'm not so sure that they want it like this. Like they really let Memphis get in their heads a little bit in Memphis. Whoop, that trick was playing, but I feel a Jordan Poole game coming on. Okay, so we're going to put together a same game parlay that features my guy. I'm going Jordan Poole, more than five made threes, five plus made threes. I'm taking the over on his 23 and a half points and I'll take the Warriors line that's minus eight right now. So if you put that all together, you get plus 2,242, which is a tasty little bet. It's fun. You get to cheer for a really cool player like Jordan Poole. New to FanDuel? Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code RINGERNBA. Once again, that's promo code RINGERNBA. And if you already have an account, you're all set to bet. No sweat. Either way, you'll get up to $20 in free bets if your same game parlay during the playoffs doesn't win. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. 21 older in select states. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet, $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. One thing you talked to me about before the podcast that we haven't really hit on is like the the Philly fan element of all of this. And I think putting that context in would kind of Sure. What, what do you want to know? No, it's just like, you know, like when we talked about this before the podcast, like we kind of made the comparison oh, yeah. to Iverson. 
and how there's this sort of relationship that develops between Philadelphia fans and players like Joel Embiid who put everything on the line and really embrace like how hard Philly fans are going to be on you and their expectations and like the fact that it's never really like it's always a stick and never really the carrot that definitely like you know it was the case with Iverson and he handled it and he I think he loved it and I think Embiid is somebody who would who embraced it I think Jimmy Butler is somebody who would yeah. have embraced it and Ben Simmons is somebody who didn't and that's all it's it's all just kind of mental makeup stuff right but one thing that when you mentioned that to me that it reminded me of was reading Andre Iguodala's book he talked about playing in Philadelphia and kind of like the the emotional Mm -hmm. highs and lows of it where you get there and you're like holy shit this fan base is so passionate they love me they love us like like why would I want to play anywhere else like they're just like these smart fans that are just like always going to hold the team accountable and they're so passionate and stuff and then He's, he talks about how hard it was later on in his career when he was playing through injuries and he hadn't lived up to the potential of being like a number mm-hmm. one type of guy. Like Andre Iguodala's early career was very miscast. Like we know Andre, Andre now is like yeah. kind of like one of the best glue guys ever. And like at that time he was like a 17 point scorer trying to like be an option and that's just not who he's supposed to be. And there's a lot of frustration. He's playing through these injuries and like, you know, getting booed and criticized. It seems idiotic, but there was like a lot of like, he is the AI AI. He is going to be the next AI. He's going to be the star that really like lifts this franchise up. Yeah. It was a different time. And we couldn't, we couldn't imagine the possibilities of a team like Golden State and players like Draymond Green. Like it was a very different time in basketball. Right. But he talked about the frustration of going through all of that for a team and almost it almost seemed like he went through it more and like really put the like try to you know play through all these injuries and stuff because of the culture and then to have that turn on him was very difficult well we see like cynical Iguodala who's very smart about these things now and I think it probably comes from a lot of that I remember that period as this like real limbo for the franchise post Iverson and I have a lot of affection for some of those teams. And I, one of the most fun things I ever did at Grantland was really early on. Like, I think Iguodala was already in Denver at this point. But like that 2012 Sixers team that was Drew Holiday led that took the Celtics pretty deep in the second round. It was a Doug Collins team. But it was it was like they mm-hmm. were they were playing against a Rondo Pierce KG Celtics team, if I remember correctly, that was a team that beat the Bulls when yes. Rose tore yeah. ACL. And so right? I, I mean, like I, I yeah. remember those teams more fondly than maybe a lot of Sixers fans of now do, uh, because it was the idea was yeah. that you tear that team of like a second round exit team apart to get high draft picks, to get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, to have cornerstone franchise players that take you to the finals, to hopefully make it past the second round. You know, Iguodala was like a, a pretty cerebral player. In retrospect, he was probably more Ben Simmons than he was Joel Embiid, right? Mm-hmm. Like the thing about Embiid, beyond like him embracing the idea of the Sixers and what the Sixers were trying to do, and this like promise on uh, in the future that this sort of this idea of the process was, was he just made a very deep emotional connection with the fan base, and I think he is like in a lot of ways the manifestation of a lot of the Sixers obsessions in the way, same way like maybe Zebo was for Memphis. Like this is not a unique experience. I think it also often happens outside of like the major markets where a team and a player will develop like an incredible connection, and that player seems to be like the avatar mm-hmm. for the way that the fan base behaves. You know, or and for better yeah. or for worse. I was very interested by Joel Embiid 
talking about playing in this most recent game five because he felt like if he didn't play, he would get roasted for being soft. And I was like, I don't really think yeah. that would have happened. Maybe some guy would have called in the WIP and been like, this guy gets all this money and he's not willing to pl- play with a hurt thumb. I really don't. I don't think we're there anymore. I, I just think that if he had been like, I yeah. gave everything I had in Philly to get us back in this series. I need a couple of days off. The eye is bothering me. The thumb is killing me. I just need to stay in Philly and, and get rest while these guys go to Miami. If they win, great. If they lose, it's okay. We're going to win game six in Philly and then we'll have like a one game playoff with Miami. Like if he had said that or if yeah. he had been like, I can't play anymore, nobody would have been like, Joel killed us this year. I really don't think so. I really think that's a straw man. Yeah. So it's like a weird thing where it's like, does Embiid have like online brain where he's like, there are guys mad at me on Twitter and it's like, I, are there like, really? Like, is there a more beloved NBA player? I think if you look at how people reacted after his game five, though, it would give him some cre- credence. So like there was a lot of, you know, talking head stuff going on about the performance that Joel Embiid had and how he was a no show. It's like, dude, he was injured and talking like, you know, like even like we, we went through it all, like the Chris Haynes report and like all this speculation about the MVP. At a certain point, you can't care about that. You have to care about your own body more. Yeah, I mean, just to complete your psychoanalysis question, I do think that there is like now almost like the bond between him and Philadelphia is like too strong. Do you know what I mean? Like there is there is like this feeling of responsibility that he has to the franchise and the city to do certain things. And then there Mm -hmm. is on that flip side, like I think when these seasons end, I'm sure every end of a season is emotionally devastating, but like it does seem like it breaks him to some extent. (laughs) And and I don't know whether the fan base or like the sporting atmosphere of Philadelphia contributes to that or maybe the amount of scrutiny the Sixers have been under over the last few years contributes to that. I'm sure it all does. But there's something about like the end of seasons, like when you go back to their first appearance with Embiid in the playoffs. It was like the 17-18 season, and I believe they came in third in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they went 52-30. and 30. They, This is that, like after they had finished 14th in the conference, they had a 28-54 and 54 season. And the next season is their kind of like thunder breakout season where they go 52-30 and 30 and they, they beat the Heat 4-1 in the first round. And in the second round, they lose to the Celtics 4-1. And after that series, Embiid was like, the process is never going to end. This is a process to get to the playoffs. We did it. This was a process to get to the conference finals. We didn't. Next year, that's our goal. It was like, I feel good. We feel good. We did it okay. And as we know, over the next couple of seasons, there was just a tremendous amount of churn on this team. They went 51-31 the next year. That's the triple bounce year. That's the Jimmy Butler year. That was the team that started out. And I think I had maybe was like my platonic ideal for a Sixers team. That was the Feds team. That was like mm-hmm. Embiid, Fultz, uh, Sarich, Simmons, Covington. JJ was on that team. It was this young, fun, mostly homegrown team that they then traded Covington and Sarich for Jimmy Butler. And that team was obviously the Jimmy Butler team was clearly amazing. You know what I mean? It was just like, it was like that was mm-hmm. the right combination of players. Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, was a title contending team if they had stuck with it. And then the Butler thing implodes. There was a lot of stuff about that last night because Butler walked off the floor saying, Tobias Harris over me. I think Tobias caught a straight because he was the only person that's still there. Because that was very much like an Al Horford over me and a Brett Brown over me and a Ben Simmons over me. (laughs) Yeah, there was a ton of over him (laughs) stuff. And I think that that was like a real bad, like in between Colangelo and 
Maury period of who's really calling the shots here. Is it Brett? Is it Elton mm-hmm. Brand? Is it Josh Harris? Is it who? Like, so you get into the next season, which is the bubble year, right? And that's um, 43 and 30. Mm-hmm. They finish the season. They lose. They get swept by the Celtics. Uh, 4-0. There was a moment in that season where it looked like Shake Milton was going to come in and save I, everything. I, I've too. wiped that from my memory. And, uh, you know, this, the quotes are starting to get a little bit more struggle quotes. He's like, I've got to do more. Whatever the stats are, I've got to do more. I've got one job to do. Carious. I'm going to need my teammates to help me. The next season, obviously, is 2021. That was the one we just experienced when they lost to the Hawks in seven at home. Ben Simmons, the shot, etc. And then we go into this sort of bizarre uh, purgatory year that we just had where the Sixers hold on to Ben Simmons until the All-Star break so that they can get the player that they've targeted, which is James Harden, rather than CJ McCollum, rather than Tyrese Halliburton, rather than whoever else was on the the table for them to trade Ben Simmons for. And now that trade basically looks like a write-down for both teams, you know, like where it's just like Harden is being asked about whether he'll take less money to stay in Philadelphia and Ben Simmons has had back surgery. So didn't really work out for anybody. We'll see how it goes next season. But that's a lot of turnover. That's two coaches. That's three, four GMs he's played for. That's um, a ton of supporting cast members from Al Horford, Jimmy Butler, Josh Richardson, uh, JJ Redick, like all these guys coming in and out. And then the crazy thing is, is the result is always the same. The result is always a second round exit. And the question I want to ask you is one of the themes we've been discussing on this pod and on multiple Ringer NBA pods is this idea of heliocentric basketball, this idea of a player as the planet that the offense revolves around. And last night we saw Luca go nuts and the Mavericks looked incredible. And we'll see what, what happens with game six with that, game seven with that rather. But do you consider Joel a heliocentric player? Not exactly. Like he is, he is definitely a uh-huh. solar system. But I think there are difficulties to playing that style when you are a post player. Like he's not the primary ba- ball handler. So first of yeah, all, you got to get passes. the ball to him. It's like a and good, good place to start. Right. Just, just entry passes. Yeah, would be good. Lost art in the NBA. Lost art for the Sixers, definitely. And well, if the guy's getting, if the guy's getting doubled and tripled and fronted by a team as aggressive as the Miami Heat, then that's also just going to cause issues. Um, and he's also become more of a perimeter-oriented player over the last few years. I mean, he's definitely still crushing it in the paint and everything, but he has added a lot of guard mm-hmm. moves to his game. And I wonder if that's a reaction to all of that. And then you also hear him talking about how he needs to become a better passer. So I think there's potential for that to continue to move. But it is just a different proposition. But that's that's why you bring in James Harden, right? Like, that's why you have a guy like him. And, you know, up until this Maverick series, I thought the Suns were pretty much like the best example of, like, how to do, do heliocentrism right. You have two solar systems, like, so that neither of them essentially get too tired. Yeah. Uh, Harden and Embiid both extremely tired though so that didn't exactly work out and I don't know that that's an X's and O's problem um, as much it's just a larger sort of like you know for Harden like whatever well like we this doesn't need to be the podcast for that right um, I, I guess it's like the heliocentric thing is like there is like usage rate heliocentrism and then there mm-hmm. is like the emotional core and focus of the team heliocentrism even if it's not always with the ball in his hand and you know, I note with interest that 
the teams remaining in the NBA playoffs are not exactly like big man based with the exception of Giannis, who is essentially Shaq as a guard, you know, so. And he can handle the ball at the top of the key and drive and kick, which is kind of, I think, what we visualize with heliocentrism. Right, which Embiid cannot do. He gets mobbed and he kind of gets it out. And he sometimes he, he makes some really smart, cool passes out of the, out of the post and out of his doubles. But mm-hmm. it's not Jokic. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, I, that's not a knock against Embiid and why he shouldn't win MVP. But that is just like the reality is that style. Yeah. We're watching yeah. in Jokic a generational passer who happens to be built like a, a nightclub bouncer. Like, it's amazing. Right. I think for Embiid, it'd be like smarter for him to look at somebody like Towns how he passes the ball and his passing is still not exactly perfect, but he's still probably one of the better big man passers. It just speaks to the difficulty of doing it from that position. Like even if you maximize it, then you look at what a team like Memphis did to, to, uh, to Minnesota, where I don't think Joel Embiid would be bullied by Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks quite the same way. But at the same time, like passing the post, you're just like, I think it's a geometric problem a lot of the times, right? Like it's just, First of all, your, your back is to half the people that you want to be able to see. And you can swarm and you can just position players smartly to be able to cover two guys at the same time. And unless you have like the smartest passer in the world in, in Nikola Jokic and surround him with like the best cutters ever, then yeah, I it's, it's going to be pretty difficult. <laughs> there wasn't a ton of like playbook stuff like Miami played a 3-2 zone and it just like broke the Sixers brains. And mm-hmm. essentially once Danny Green went out. I do want to mention something about that. But once Danny Green went out, again, this was another Danny Green left and like the Sixers kind of like lost the plot. Like, I think that that was one more shooter gone. That was one more brain on the court gone. That was one more, you know, uh, perimeter defender, even if he's not what he used to be gone. And that really seemed to upend like what the Sixers were trying to do. And Milton and Maxi, for like their ability to get hot in various ways are not exactly like orchestrators or playmakers in the traditional sense of like a guy who can get in the lane and then kick. Like Maxi can go by guys and then go straight to the rim or he can shoot a three, but there's not like a ton of offense coming out of Maxi. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, okay, now that I think about the game that he had and just Embiid in general throughout this series, I think that there's a lack of trust on this team that is not like we talk about lack of trust, like you don't pass the ball right. enough. Right. I think there's a lack of trust in that. Joel Embiid feels like he has to go to Miami in order for them to win that game. Even though, like, Philly did have a pretty great game without him, right? And, like, it, I think in another situation, you might look at it. Like, I don't just I just did a feature on, on the Grizzlies. Yeah. And um, they're, they've been excellent with, without Jaw this entire season. And then they just they played the strangest and weirdest and whatever game against against the Warriors and just blew them out by a 39 point game that was that was worse than 39 points it was like a six they were up by 58 points yeah it was it was crazy it was crazy um and that team has a lot of trust in each other whether or not you know like sometimes the X's and O's don't exactly match up with that team where I look I look at how Jaw plays sometimes and he has tunnel vision or like the the shooters aren't aren't always reliable and they have guys that are in foul trouble all the time but they have a deeper trust in each other as human beings. And I look at the way that Tyrese Maxey played yesterday. And I'm like, you don't trust James Harden. <laughs> like you don't trust him to put up enough right now. You're going to try to do too much. And then that sort of like makes the situation worse. You know what I mean? Harden said as much after the game where he was just like, the ball didn't yes. come back to me. Now I think Harden, I think at least had like a few second half turnovers that I watched and tried to erase from the hard drive, but was like, 
just essentially drib- dribbling into <laughs> my hard and drive, uh, dribbling into three Miami players and either throwing a pass up in the air that got picked off by Bam or losing his dribble. And so he seemed completely flummoxed by this Miami zone. And also just there was nothing special about like his, if you were going to say, you know, James Harden's just going to be like God level George Hill or something. I mean, George Hill's a way better defender than James Harden. But if you were like, James Harden is just going to start the offense and be like a reliable outlet when you need to give it up if you get pressured and like then maybe get his 14 and nine assists or something. I don't know. I mean, this team is just so slow. They're so unathletic. There's there's really so few convincing driving kick players on this team. And even if they were going to kick, they traded away Seth Curry. Like they don't even have the shooting that they used to have. They have no perimeter defense. I just don't think that Embiid playing 15 more minutes or scoring 20 more points would have made that big of a difference, even though... They looked okay when Danny Green was in the game yesterday. There's there's kind of two ways to think about this. So on on one end, you have Harden, who is kind of just a player he is at this point, and is also, I think, Miami is just a horrible matchup for him. Even in Houston, even in his prime, he was not somebody who thrived when there wasn't a matchup that he couldn't exploit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miami, to their credit, was like, hey, sorry, Duncan, you're going to be on the bench for this series. And at, after that point, it's like, well, okay, you're kind of screwed then, yeah. because... Bam, Bam is an excellent switch defender. He switches more than like any other big in the NBA. And then you've got just like a slew of really great perimeter defenders. And you've got PJ Tucker who played with him and is also one of the better, like the best perimeter defenders and is his size and strength yes. and all that stuff. And if like, you have to, you can always put Jimmy Butler him. on him. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and I mean, it was interesting to me how little Miami had to like stretch and dig deep in their defense to, to stop him. Uh, so there are there is like a structural superstar issue with James Harden. But at the same time, I look at this roster and I'm like, there is so much talent on this team. Is there? There is. If you actually like we are now at the point where it has become distorted because of we watched them play and we're like, holy shit. Right. But if you take these players individually, they should all just be performing better than they do. Yes. Tobias Harris, especially is somebody who sticks out to me as somebody like if they traded Tobias Harris. Like I would, if I was a different, like I don't know where he'd fit, but you could you could buy low on Harris right now, and I, you can almost guarantee that he'd have a, a way better season anywhere else, right? Yeah. Embiid, obviously, you know. Then you know Harden, we kind of went through it, but he's still, you know, he's a he sh- should be a serviceable playmaker slash all star. Right. Maxi, also, you know, and like he's one guy that's like, going to continue to get better. There is still talent on this team. And I wonder if really like the issue is the coaching, which you can change. Sure, I mean, I would I would love to see like a creative tactician coaching this team. Like I, I think we got to like for, forget about like the raw raw motivators. Like let's get somebody who just like like let, let's get like um, a Jack McKinney type on this. You know what's this funny? And see what he does. You say that, but the thing that I think about is, and this is funny because this used to be the bedrock of the Sixers' identity during the Ben Simmons years, the thing that I think about about the teams that are left in the playoffs, I think about Boston and Dallas who completely like refresh their defensive identities with their new coaches. It's not about like, 
oh, like I have like the new Showtime offense that I'm going to institute. Like I, I think D'Antoni would be a big mistake for the Sixers is what I mean. Like I think I think if they think that they can go and outscore the Milwaukee's and Miami's. I would go Kenny Atkinson, you know, like that is the direction. I'd not, not, maybe not exactly Kenny Atkinson, but that is a type of coach I would be thinking about. I'd be thinking about like, Maybe a guy who hasn't coached before in a head coaching position. Sure. But they need to go and whether it could be Dan Burke, who's on the Sixers bench right now, or Dave Yeager, or maybe there's somebody in the in the Sixers orbit that they think is the right guy. But right. the idea that the Sixers need to spend more time trying to unlock their offense rather than recommit to what like, yeah, you have to be a great defensive team. The Warriors are never going to be what they were five years ago as a defensive team. Mm -hmm. But like, I think that they know that they need to like lock it up sometimes and the bucks and the Celtics and to some extent, the Mavericks and the Suns are all really, really, really good defensive teams. Well, if you look at where the Warriors are struggling right now, right? Like no Gary Payton, no Andre Iguodala, no Otto Porter after, after last game. Right. Right. I would kind of run it back with these guys. I don't even know that you really have a choice. Unless you want to start getting into like trade world again, I just right? I just think that this sign Harden, Daniel House is available this off season. He's a former. No, seriously. So like, you, you want to reconstruct the... like you... the eighteen Rockets? <laughs> you need more of those types of guys. Like like PJ Tucker is not going to be free agent, and they have the taxpayer bid level. Like go get some guys who will push some other guys. Yes, I agree with you, and I think that like when I, I the team that makes me salivate the most weirdly is Dallas. Like when I watch Dorian Finney-Smith. And mm-hmm. that type of player, I'm just like, ah, God, like, you mean there, there's somewhere out there, there's like a guy who has like 60% of Thibault's defense and 150% of his offense, <laughs> like, you know, just like a really, really solid wing defender, two-way player, the Bridges, the Dorian Finney-Smith guys that just seem to have escaped the Sixers entirely after all of this roster maneuvering. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, we have a bunch of like crafty veterans Nobody's particularly athletic. Nobody's particularly good at defense. Nobody's that great of a three-point shooter. And here we are. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month. 
just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. I guess the biggest question here then, sir, the remaining one, is there anything... Is there a different version of Embiid that you want to see next season? Uh, and is there a version of Embiid? You know, I you can't guarantee that Pascal Siakam is not going to get like elbow a guy. Like it's just like some of these injuries are not like long term stress injuries. They're more like I was in the mix. I think that he falls a lot. I think that he has a little bit of Anthony Davis itis, where I feel like there's something weirdly like like comforting for him to fall, like to just like. Go for a rebound, and then if that means like falling onto the ground, well, fall, falling can be smart, also. Sure, but like it happens a lot. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, it does. And uh, I would love to see like a more earthbound, like maybe safer Joel Embiid who plays like 31 minutes a game yeah. and is like in the best shape of his life going into a postseason. Yeah. That's exactly where I'm at. And, like, I don't know how you make that happen. Maybe it's play less games, maybe it's play less minutes, maybe it's. I don't know. Like, does Joel Embiid need, need a bodyguard? Should 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 they start playing two bigs? Is like a Paul Reed, Joel Embiid, like Boston playing Horford and Williams? Like, is there something there? A real power forward would help. Like the way this team gets killed on the boards despite having Embiid on the floor is pathetic. Um, but aside from what you said, I mean, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to see him on purpose play sixty five games a year, and just like live with what people say about that, yeah. and just yeah, be healthy and. You know, I'm sure he'll make the requisite improvements that he makes every single year. I'm like, you know, just a little bit better touch, a little bit better, you know, reading the game and all that stuff. I hope that he it sticks to what he said about not caring about the recognition of an MVP award. But at the same time, yeah. like, I, I feel like this also all just needs to be in the context of none of this is his fault. And he's in this position because he's trying to carry this team that is absolutely just pathetic in a lot of ways and we should be pointing the finger way more <laughs> at Doc Rivers and James Harden and Tobias Harris and like the, the the thinness that they have passed beyond those guys as well here's the other thing is that in the same way that only one team can win the title somebody's got to be the mm-hmm. sixth best team you know in a conference or in a, in a league or whatever like it might just be that mm-hmm. Joel Embiid is amazing an MVP candidate that in the best case scenario, they beat Atlanta last season. They go to the conference finals. Like there's all these different what ifs, but look, man, Giannis is really good. Yeah. This year, the Celtics got really hot. They're really good too. Like Miami is the number yeah. one seed. They're awesome. It's not that surprising that they beat the Sixers. Like there's tons of NBA all-stars throughout the decades who have similar stories where it's just like, it just never came together for me in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think he's in the fear of that being the case for him yeah um but yeah i mean no I, th- I think that's that's a great perspective to have on it and i think that's why years ago sam hinky took over and you know completely decimated the team it was so that they could keep just making the second round over and over again so <laughs> <laughs> <And that's, Thanks. laughs> so the, yeah the process the process never dies chris <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it does it. We'll be back next Friday. We'll be talking conference finals yeah. next Friday. So that's exciting. Uh, you are on the road. Are you going to see any teams? Yeah, we'll see. We got to see how things shake out. But I'll be I'll be out and about. Oh right, because yeah, you know, we have to go see what happens with uh, if if uh, Marcus Smart's ever redeem himself in Wisconsin and see wh- wh- where that series goes. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm I'm personally very excited for this uh, this Grizzlies Mavericks conference finals that we're gonna get in the West. <laughs> <laughs> you you laugh. We don't know. Uh, All right. Thanks to Chris Sutton for producing us. Uh, For Sirit, this is Chris Ryan. Uh, We'll be back next Friday.